letting a elite group of scientists into the desert to develop a top-secret project known as Quantum Leap. Pressured to prove his theories or lose funding, Dr. Beckett prematurely stepped into the Project Accelerator. of a cosmic clock, I went from quantum physicist to Air Force test pilot, which could have been fun if I knew how to fly. Fortunately, I had help, an observer from the project named Al. Unfortunately, Al's a hologram, so all he can lend is moral support. Anyway, here I am, bouncing around in time, putting things right that once went wrong. A sort of time-traveling Lone Ranger with Al as my tanto, and I don't even need a mask. Listening to the Quantum Leap Podcast. This is episode number two, Starcrossed. Give me life, my darling. Touch my hand and light my soul. Great. Four of my least favorite cliches. Headbands, bell bottoms, flower power, and English lit. I'm here to get a second chance. Before I even get a first one. You want to let me in on the joke? Donna Elise is here. Don't you see, Al? I'm here to get Donna and I a second chance. You're here to see that Guinevere there doesn't make the biggest mistake of her life. How do you know that? A, a Coke would be fine. A Coke, a cheeseburger and fries, medium rare on the burger. And- Hold the tomato, extra onion. You're taking me to see my father. Police, this is the Watergate. We have a break in here. We're talking about the woman I love in my future. I'm here, she's here. We've got a second chance. No one's going to stop me from taking it. I'm not even you. Hello and welcome back to the Quantum Leap Podcast. I am Albie. And this is Heather. Today we are discussing the first actual episode after the pilot movie of Quantum Leap, Star Crossed. Heather, first impressions? Um, This one was good. I liked the movie one better probably because it was longer and more detailed into the story terry hatcher was cool she was cute little teenage chick but the story was cute i hope that they continue it i want to see if they get back together or if she marries the other guy all i want to say is don't google it oh no i well (laughs) i i've learned my lessons with google and spoilers so um i just yeah i like the other one better i like the story of the other one better I, I mean, I like the show as a whole. I just liked the last story better. Okay. There's, I mean, there are certain things I liked in this episode. Very rarely do I not like something. I usually enjoy, I go along for the ride, but um, yeah, it was okay. What was your overall impression of this one? I liked it. Uh, for a second episode, first season, first seasons of shows are usually pretty rough. If you look at any TV show, it's hard to judge a TV show by their first season because they're still trying to find their legs and figure out what they're doing. Uh, but I didn't mind this episode. I enjoyed it. I really enjoyed Terry Hatcher's performance. That's probably what made this episode so good. Um, it was written by uh, Deborah Pratt. I thought that was nice to see her take on the series. Before we get too far into it, could you possibly read us the episode recap, Heather? Sure thing. This is Season 1, Episode 3, Star-Crossed. The original broadcast date was March 31st, 1989. It was written by Deborah Pratt and directed by Mark Sobel.
leaps into Professor Gerald Bryant while standing before an English literature class and having his all-girl audience staring at him admiringly. Sam struggles through the material before being saved by the bell, which ends the class. Outside the building, one of his students, a passionate and poetic redhead named Jamie Lee, flirts with him. Sam attempts to rebuff her advances until he is suddenly distracted by another girl, Donna Alisi, the woman Sam will love in the 1980s. Jamie Lee yanks him away and accompanies him back to his residence. Sam continues to try and steer Jamie Lee away, eventually telling her to delay their romantic affair for another day. Al arrives to tell him that his mission is to prevent Bryant and Jamie Lee from marrying and ruining their lives. Sam disputes this, stating that he has seen Donna Alisi and believes his true mission is to give them a second chance in the future. Sam only vaguely remembers the details of the relationship. He knows that they met in the early 1980s and were engaged to be married, but that the wedding never took place. Al fills in the gaps by explaining that Donna didn't show up at the altar. Sam believes she was afraid to commit because of something that happened with her father. He asks Al to help, but Al is defiant. He tells Sam that affecting one's personal future is a violation of the project's rules, and that if Sam attempts to do so, the committee controlling the project will cut off funding. Sam goes to the diner where Donna works. He orders lunch and tries to convince her that he is not the man he appears to be. Donna becomes startled and asks him not to speak with her again. Moments later, Sam is confronted by a big, hulking wrestler named Oscar. Oscar warns Sam to stay away from his girlfriend, Jamie Lee. Sam contests that Jamie Lee is simply trying to make him jealous and recommends that Oscar appeal to Jamie Lee's poetic instincts by writing her poetry. Oscar accepts the advice, though promises he will return to break his face if it doesn't work. Back at his residence, Jamie Lee shows up once again to resume their love affair. Sam tells her they are not right for each other and she should give Oscar another chance. Disappointed, Jamie Lee leaves, but is unconvinced that she will stop loving him. Sam tells Al he knows how to fix his own circumstances with Donna. Ever since her father left her as a child, Donna has been unable to commit to a man. Sam theorizes that if he can reunite the two, Donna may abandon her commitment problems and marry Sam in the future. Sam asks Al to locate her father. Al refuses, reiterating that the committee is already accusing Al of violating project rules by giving Sam personal information and will remove him from the project if he does so again. Sam goes to the science building where he finds Donna trying to solve a complex mathematical equation. Sam solves it for her and begins to share his views on science and time travel. The two begin to bond and Donna discloses that if she could travel in time, she would go back to her childhood when she was the happiest. Sam asks if this was before her father left, and Donna becomes rattled, disturbed that he knew such personal information. Sam tells her he guessed the information because Donna didn't list a father on the school records. Donna accepts Sam's explanation, and the two continue to bond while Sam explains his time travel theories. Back at the diner where she works, Sam waits while Donna finishes her shift. Al appears flanked by two committee members who remain invisible to Sam. They are monitoring Al's conversation to ensure that he does not give Sam personal information. Al, however, attempts to circumvent them by communicating with Sam covertly through an Egyptian sash he is wearing. Sam, fluent in ancient Egyptian language, is able to read the inscriptions, which spell out symbols meaning capital and army. Sam deduces that Donna's father must be in Washington and working at the Pentagon. Sam, however, needs his name to find him. Al is accused of communicating with Sam through coded language. The invisible members proceed to drag Al away. Al yells out the name, Wojohowitz. Donna's father's surname, before disappearing. Donna returns to the room after Al leaves, and Sam asks her to take a trip with him to Washington. Donna is reluctant, so he promises to bring a chaperone. Back at home, Sam organizes the meeting by calling Donna's father, who is an army colonel. 
Sam tells Wojohowicz that his departure has affected Donna emotionally and that she needs to see him again. The colonel says he is shipping out to Vietnam the next day and does not want to reopen an old emotional wound before leaving. He hangs up the phone. A knock sounds at Sam's door. It's Oscar, who angrily punches Sam in the face. Sam retaliates with his own punch before the two settle down. Sam asks Oscar what went wrong. Oscar describes the poem he wrote, which was filled with perverse and unromantic dialogue. Sam asks Oscar if he and Jamie Lee will accompany him and Donna on a trip to Washington. Oscar agrees, and the four of them set off that night. While pulling over at a gas station along the way, Al reappears. Sam is overjoyed, having worried he might never see him again. Al explains that he set up his girlfriend Tina with Weitzman, one of the committee members, and threatened to blackmail him to his wife unless Weitzman allowed Al to return to the project. Al is now able to access information about Donna. However, he tells Sam that prior to meeting him, Donna was engaged to another man. If Sam is able to reunite Donna with her father and reestablish her ability to commit, he may end up ensuring that she marries the other guy instead. While they resume their trip, Donna asks Sam why he is taking them to Washington. Sam explains that he is taking her to see her father. He says that he once had a fiancé who was afraid to commit and left him at the altar. He hopes Donna will not do the same when her chance comes for happiness. They arrive at Wojohowicz Hotel late in the night. Sam and Donna are told at the reception desk that Wojohowicz does not want visitors and since Donna cannot prove that she is his daughter, the two are refused entry. Sam decides not to give up and takes Donna to a back entrance which is unlocked. The two security guards at the reception desk are suspicious of Sam. One of them goes out into the parking lot and finds his car which has Ohio license plates. Jamie Lee and Oscar hide away and Oscar's ability to offer her protection rekindles her romantic interest in him. The guard, meanwhile, investigates the perimeter and finds that the back entrance to the hotel has been forcibly unlocked. He alerts the other guard at the reception desk, who phones the police and informs them of a break-in. Sam and Donna arrive at Wojohowicz's door, and Donna has a tearful reunion with her father. Her father says he regrets waiting so long to see her. Sam begins to leave when Donna goes after him, saying that if she were a little older, they might be able to have a relationship. Sam nods and tells her she will be older one day. Sam merrily exits the hotel, while Al informs him that he is in the Watergate Hotel at the time of the famous break-in, which leads to Nixon's resignation. Sam doesn't remember the event, but is convinced that he has cured Donna's commitment issues so that she will no longer jilt him at the altar in the future. Al reminds him about the man that came before him. Sam is unworried. He is convinced that fate will allow them to be together. Meanwhile, Jamie Lee and Oscar finally rekindle a romance and a kiss, prompting Sam to leap. And thank you for that, Heather. That was a great episode recap, as always. It's my specialty, reading episode recaps. First off, I want to say this is the first episode with the opening theme to Quantum Leap by Mike Post, which was really nice to see, and pretty long opening, and it had a lot of clips from upcoming shows from this season. I saw, like, a cowboy one. That's the only one I can recall, and I've seen the episode four times. But There's, like, a cowboy one. I think there's, like, a gangster mafia thing in there and a couple other things pretty cool to see what's coming up ahead yeah i liked the little introduction thing i it's really cool if you hadn't seen the first episode or it's been a while since you saw the first episode so i thought it was cool that the episode started off with the end of the last story where he was still a baseball player during the introduction so it showed him leaping from the baseball player to the college professor 
So I'm thinking if they keep doing that, it's almost like one long movie if you wanted to sit there and just marathon the whole show where they just he leaps from one person to another person to another person to another person. That would be awesome to do, to marathon the show. Maybe after we're done with the podcast, we can marathon it for like an overall show. That would be kind of cool to do at the end. That would be awesome. We could just get some Jolt Cola and Pixie Sticks and stay up all night. Oh my. Sounds like an 80s party. <laughs> Was Jolt in the 80s? I don't know. I just uh, know it's before my 90s. time. Okay, so it was a ni- it'll be a 90s party. As it should be. Quantum Leap. Yes, exactly. We'll have to wear our LED clothes. As someone who took English Lit, I actually have taken the college class. I'm glad one of us have, because I didn't, and I was totally... I had no idea what was going on when it came to those parts. What's ridiculous is I've taken it twice, because I took it in high school and didn't take... I took like an AP class, but I didn't take the test at the end because I thought it was too cool for school. And then I had to retake it in college. Um, It was not a fun... I love to read, but I think I just don't like being forced to read things. And Wuthering Heights was not my fave. And that's the book they're talking about. And it was like torture. Have you ever read the book? No. Yeah, I think I got halfway through and I... pretty sure i did sparks notes the rest of the way does it have anything to do with time travel definitely not probably not gonna read it like if a book doesn't grab me in the first like couple chapters and i'm like reading the same sentence over and over and i'm not grasping you know like i'm spacing out and i've read the same paragraph three times it's just not worth my time i love to read but that was i just never so made did you it recognize through. the quote I knew the characters he was talking about. I just, because we talked about it in class and had to write papers on it. But like I said, only read the first half of the book. English lit, not my favorite. I wonder if it had something to do with uh, Deborah Pratt writing it. And she's a writer. She writes books. So maybe, you know, they say write what you know. So maybe her first episode she wrote about English lit. Probably she took a lot of that. Well, I mean, those all the the stories that they referenced were things that are covered in that class like as a whole um they're all very classic and well-known stories so it was probably romeo and juliet yeah well i'm sure you've heard of wuthering heights i'm sure that you've heard references to that book or quotes from that book you just don't know it i've heard the title before i couldn't tell you what it was about well i'm pretty sure the name of heathcliff is from wuthering heights he's a character in the book not a cartoon cat not well i mean he that too But the story is about Heathcliff. I honestly sucked at English Lit, so. The subject he was teaching about in that particular class was obsession. So uh, it was kind of fitting that he had a student, Jamie Lee, that was obsessed with him. Yes. Well, they kind of do that. They're sneaky like that. Mm -hmm. Just like uh, the episode of Perception we were just watching. (laughs) Love that show. What did you think about Jamie Lee's character? Um, She is somebody that I wouldn't be friends with. She She's kind annoying of annoying. To me, right? Yeah. Annoying. I, I Totally I, annoying. I doubt the actress is annoying. I think she's just a good actress and good at acting at being annoying, just the way she was speaking. And I was like, ah. Well, yeah, her character it was yeah. annoying. Yeah. And was supposed to be annoying and obnoxious. I mean, everybody has a crush on a teacher at some point in their schooling career. Yes. But that's it, usually. Like, that's... It. But when you're 39 in, in college and your professor's like 45. She was not 39. She was not She was not playing. Age. She was not playing. Well, 
But that's what they do. I mean, when you actually go to college, it's a bunch of young kids, but on TV and I mean, look at the Glee cast. They're all in their late 20s and they're in high school and college. I mean, when I I thought when I got to high school, I was going to be there with a whole bunch of grown up adults, but everybody was still a kid. Yeah, they're the same people you went to middle school with. I actually looked up the actors and their ages, mm-hmm. and the guy who played Oscar was 29. His name's uh, Michael McGrady, and uh, Leslie S. Sachs, who played Jamie Lee, I couldn't find a birth date on her anywhere. I searched for over an hour. just says unknown, but I'm thinking she was like 39. She was not 39. Playing like a 22-year-old. She wasn't. I, I'm telling you right now, she was in her 20s. No, I'd say 30s. I'm telling you 20s. Well, Terry Hatcher. She was 24, but so she she was pretty age-appropriate. They said that she was like 18 in the show because her she said before her dad left, she was about six or seven. And then he said he hadn't talked to her in about 10 years. So she was still playing someone younger than her. Right. But she didn't look old where I thought the Jamie Lee actress looked old. Well, some people just age differently. I look a lot younger than my age, but there's a lot of people who look. My thought on it was maybe they were casting a little bit older for the ages just so it looked somewhat appropriate for Scott Bakula. Yeah. Because, like, if he was hanging out with 18, 19-year-old kids and they were hitting on him and stuff, it would look all kinds of wrong, whereas these actors that they picked out were pretty much the same age, so it didn't look wrong, if that makes sense. He was still older. Right. Because he had gray hair. Yeah, the character that he leaped into was much older than he was, but I think the actors that were older than they were playing were more the same age of Scott Bakula. Ish. what I'm trying to say. Ish. Ish. Um, speaking of the character he leaped into, ugliest man ever. I think that was on purpose, right? Well, yeah. But, I mean, first of all, when you have a crush on your teacher, don't fall for the sleazy, disgusting one that doesn't shower. His hair was greasy, his face wasn't shaved, he was not attractive in any way, shape, or form, and he's just quoting stuff from literature, like classic literature. You gotta go with what works, though. But ha... How? It's one thing if you, like, come up with it on your own. It's another thing if you're just quoting it out of a book that you're teaching. Ew, he was disgusting. So he was a professor at a Catholic girls' school. Sarah Lawrence. The only reason why I know that it's Sarah Lawrence is because in 10 Things I Hate About You, she wants to go to Sarah Lawrence, which is an all-girls school. So kind of put two and two together. I liked the 70s fashion. I liked what Sam was wearing. It was pretty cool. I used to think the 70s clothes looked really stupid and silly when I was younger, but I think after watching Life on Mars and how Jason O'Mara pulled those outfits off, like now I think I dig the 70s fashion. I think your opinions change as you get older too. It all comes around again. Yeah. Again, I would totally wear what he was wearing and think I was really cool. I don't think that my face can come through on the podcast. It was good for that time period. They get back to the professor's house, and it's a pretty good set, I think. I I liked how they did the mirror gag this episode. I think they're getting better every time. Well, it's better when they don't show both of their faces. That helps. But, like, the coordination between Jamie Lee and her double with the hands and the scarf was really good, so I gotta give them credit for that. You know, I didn't even notice that. I didn't even think about it, so they must have done a lot better on that. If you didn't notice it, that means they did good, yeah. Yeah. It was cool to see how they built that wall that the mirror was on, and on the other side of the wall, there was like a painting, so they could take it down, and that would be where, you know, you could see the guy through and everything. That was nice. Yeah. They are getting better with the mirror. Uh, It was cool to see a little bit more of Al's personality uh, when he was staring at Jamie Lee's rear end. (laughs) I thought, yeah, he's definitely a lech. 
You know, in this episode, I liked his mannerisms a lot and his little facial expressions and the way that he expressed himself was really, like, you get to look into his character a little bit more in this episode. Dean Stockwell is an amazing actor. It only gets better as we go on, too. I love that he says suicide as a question and she's all gung-ho for suicide and then she's like, well, what else is there to do? Because killing yourself is on the top list of great time-consuming things. Like, I don't understand. Jamie Lee definitely had a screw loose, I'd say. She was definitely obsessed. Maybe that's why the professor was, in fact, discussing obsession. The actual professor, Gerald Bryant, was planning a lesson on obsession just so he could explain it to her and get rid of her. No, I'm, I'm pretty sure that he was a jerk and he was enjoying it. I don't think he was trying to get rid of her. I don't think he could really get anything else. Did you notice the street address of the professor's house? I did not. 314. I don't know what that means. 3.14. Oh, pie. Yeah, that might be something. I was like, I don't know where you're going with that. I'm always <laughs> thinking of pie. No sugar added apple for me, please. Oh, see, I'm not a fruit pie kind of person. I'm more of like a cream pie, French silk, or... We'll have to get two pies and each have our own pie, that's all. Dude, that would be awesome. Now I'm thinking about pie. <laughs> I know that we had already talked about 70s fashion. Right. But was he wearing a velour suit? Like a velvet velour. Was it velour? I don't know. I thought I saw polyester, but which one? The the gray one or the brown one? So it definitely had some texture to it. I don't doubt it. I like the elbow pads. That was pretty cool. Yeah, things that have gone out of style. Elbow pads and shoulder pads. I'm hoping they don't come back. I think uh, fashion has evolved to where it's just whatever is easiest. Jeans and a t-shirt. Yeah, there's a lot of tank tops and stuff now. I mean... So we learned a little bit more about uh, the people back at Quantum Leap. Um, Weitzman, tall skinny guy, stovepipe hat with a Lincoln obsession. Yeah. He's like the project manager or something. He's probably somebody who has no understanding of it, just pumps the money in. I mean, he might have some sort of understanding, but it's probably more like he's paying for stuff. Outside the Rathskeller, he is talking to Al, and there's women like staring at him because he's talking to thin air. Thinking if I had like an imaginary friend or a hologram, a neurological hologram that I was talking to, I wouldn't be talking loudly to them in public. Like maybe nonchalantly whispering, waiting until we got into a different place. I don't know. Would you be talking to your imaginary friend in public? If you didn't have the people looking at him and the weird shot of him talking to thin air, then it wouldn't be interesting. But that's something that continues, I think, through the whole series. Oh. Well, I mean, I know it's for, like, the show. Like, that's just an aspect. But I was just saying, in real life, pretty sure if I had my imaginary friend, I would wait until I got... I think most episodes, especially in the first season, they're just assuming nobody has seen the previous episodes. They're trying to get a new audience. So it's kind of like they have to reintroduce the concept in a slightly different way each time. Yeah, well, also when he appears out of thin air, they play a sound every time. And I don't think that's necessary, but I understand that they're trying to get a point across. I love that sound. It's my new text tone. Is it? I I don't doubt it. I had a little fun grabbing sounds off the DVDs. Well, I don't mind it. 
it's not necessary, but maybe it is considering it's season one. The good part about the sound is saves on production costs because once you are conditioned to know that sound means Al's appearing, he can appear off camera and they just play that sound and then he walks in the frame. So they save a lot of money on special effects. Oh, that's true. I didn't think about it that way. And also it just gives it a little air of, ooh, you know, something cool's happening, I think. Yeah. So his number one rule is that like a time traveler can't use his position to alter his own life do you think that's a good rule that he should stick to that rule i believe that is the most important rule of time travel so he went against his own rule for this episode yeah it could have disastrous consequences for real but luckily so far it hasn't yeah i mean butterfly effect it could totally ruin everything right i mean homer simpson goes back in time steps on a butterfly and comes back and it rains donuts i don't know if i would be against that i i would prefer donuts over water (laughs) i think it's very important that a time traveler doesn't use his or her position to improve their own life because they're too close to the subject and who's to say you won't blink yourself out of existence i mean simple things as in grabbing a can of soda before you leave the house or not can change the rest of your life and people around you's life because you missed that red light or you you stopped at that red light because it was 10 seconds difference oh yeah i yeah i I totally agree totally butterfly effect but it is weird that he leaped into the college that his ex-fiance happened to be going to at the time so it's almost serendipitous in a way so maybe the god fader time that's controlling his leaping maybe did a favor for him i don't know well that's what he talks about star-crossed souls and see what i don't understand is like the burger order like what al said they didn't they hadn't met yet But how did she know his burger order? Was that just a coincidence? Because I'm pretty sure that was a specific burger order. That's very specific. It's a cheeseburger with french fries, medium rare, hold the tomatoes, extra onion. Yeah, that's pretty specific. Yeah, how would she know even before she met him? This is what I'm thinking. Because I thought a lot about this. He has a Swiss cheese brain. So I think his memories are mixed up. So it's quite possible that that's how she likes her burgers. And maybe on one of their first dates or something, he said, I'll have that too. And that's how he ate his burgers from then on. Or he just is resuscitating what she likes without even realizing it, thinking that's what he likes. That's a really good point. See, I I didn't understand that That's the only plausible explanation I have, unless... They really are star-crossed souls? Eh... I don't give that as much credence as maybe after he told her all this stuff about how time travel works, she did the project before he did in an alternate timeline, and she's a time traveler as well in that moment. I think you're going a little far. Okay, I went too far. I mean, that would be a really cool way to go with it, but... That was my only other explanation. But I, you know, the first explanation about that being her preference, but see... I think she would have had a different reaction, like when she read off the order, unless he's somehow mixing with the body he's in and that's the professor's normal order that is another thing also because after his shower he's drying his hair and he's in like a smoking jacket or robe and he's smoking a pipe Mm -hmm. to me that seems uh, uncharacteristic of sam so i'm thinking maybe that's another clue that maybe when the person that's supposed to be in that body leaps out maybe they leave a little bit of their personality traits in his body to a point, maybe, 
because he wasn't a sleaze bag. I mean, he was still Sam. But he didn't have any sleaze bagginess in this. But yeah, the pipe and the robe thing kind of. It didn't. See, it didn't. Yeah, didn't seem like Sam. Small little things that might be clues. I'm not sure. I mean, we don't really know Sam that well yet. Oscar and Sam talk about talking mush. Do do women seem to like mush better than what guys consider romantic, which is like you make me horny and stuff? Oh yeah, and sometimes men just don't get it, and then they end up alone. <laughs> <laughs> women are definitely creatures of speech and talk to get connected to people. So to have a guy like tell feelings or 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 speak like that, it's better for women than to say something like you make me horny. So when a guy is talking much to you, are you falling for it or do you realize he's just saying what you want to hear to make you happy? Uh, it depends. It probably depends on how much I like the person. Like if I have a really big crush on that person, then it Then you can suspend your disbelief. Probably, yeah. So Sam goes into the science building to uh, just smell Bunsen burners, I guess. But then he bumps into Donna Lisi and he finishes the equation on the chalkboard. I thought that was kind of cool because she was in awe of the level of of intelligence he had because she just thought he was an English lit teacher. And I thought that was kind of cool that he uh, could do that and, and that he was talking about how what all the sciencey books and, and all that stuff and kind of poured to her intelligence side. That's another thing. Girls don't like stupid guys. It, the intelligence factor is attractive to a lot of women too. So uh, would you have forgotten about Hubble's constant and the red drift? I honestly don't know what that is. Me so neither. Probably. I have no idea. I don't know what Bunsen burners would have smelled like though. I'm I thinking guess. some kind of propane. Yeah, because he was like the smell of Bunsen burners. and I, not fa- I don't know. I'm not familiar with that smell. I think Hubble's constant or the red drift, one of them have to do with the expanding universe because they mentioned that. And they mention also in this, uh, they're talking about theories of time travel and, and Sam's theory of time travel, which I'm thinking in uh, this instance has been proven to be true because he is traveling through time, so he must know what he's talking about. The universe being finite. So real quick, do you think the universe is finite or infinite? Um, I haven't researched the subject enough. What I do know... Um, it being finite makes sense, but being infinite makes sense too. So I, I don't really know how I feel about that. I sound like a complete moron, but I don't really know what to... How do you feel? Both could be true, because uh, my brain can't comprehend one of them not being true. Oh, yeah. I mean, So you feel the same way I do. I just... If the universe is finite, then what's a foot further than the universe? That's true. If the universe is infinite... You can't wrap your head around that either. No, it's literally too big to wrap your head around. Yeah. Hmm. So that's good that quantum physicists have to deal with this and not podcasters. <laughs> yes, we're not qualified to make educated guesses, or we're only qualified to make certain educated guesses, yes. And theorize on television shows. Yeah. So uh, Donna Lisi, uh, she mentions that if she could travel back in time, she would go back to when she was a little girl because she was happier. Mm-hmm. It was quite fitting that she mentioned about going back in time while Sam was back in time. But he couldn't tell her that he was back in time because she wouldn't have believed it. I think she probably would have believed it. She would have believed it more than Peg in the last episode. You know what I mean? I mean, she has a more open mind than than Peg in the first episode. But if he had told her, then I don't think that he could have accomplished as much as he did. That's true. That's true. 
And, I mean, she might have not believed him and just thought he was crazy because she had known him previously. Right, but, uh, like, when he finally finishes explaining his theories on time travel and they're in the Rathskeller again before her shift, mm-hmm. and uh, they did the whole montage walking across campus and his belt and everything about the string theory, the Quantum Leap version of string theory. <laughs> and she's like, but only in his own lifetime? And he could have said yes, and that's how I got here or whatever. Oh, he had plenty of opportunities to tell her. But people probably would think he's crazy. Yeah, I'm sure he was torn also with that decision to tell her or not. Because he tried to tell in the first episode, and it didn't work out. But this time, he knows her and loves her and wants to change her. And he could have easily said, hey, you're going to meet a guy named Sam, and you should marry him, and blah, blah, blah. Or leave her a letter and say on the front, don't open till your second marriage. Don't open till your second marriage. (laughs) That's a great opener. (laughs) What I want to know is what happens to everything after Sam leaps back. Like, what happens to the relationship between Donna and Bryant when Sam leaps? Right, because she's crushing on him a little bit. Yeah, like, she realizes he's not a sleazebag. I'm thinking they're in Washington, D.C., all the way from Lawrence. So, after Sam leaps, they have to all drive back together to get back to Lawrence. So, I'm thinking he's going to be a sleazebag on the way back, and she's just going to be like, well... But even with Jamie Lee in the car, like, do you think that he's... I mean, does he come back confused? They now have to drive back all in the car together. Jamie Lee's not with him anymore. And I just think that's... Maybe I'm thinking too far into it. But I want to know what happens. So we just follow Sam. Yeah, we just follow Sam. We have no idea. It'd be an interesting uh, episode if they just were showing what happened after he left out. But I'm thinking people just feel confused and like they blacked out or something. Because if the other three people in the car are like, no, we drove here and we did this, he'd be like, okay... If you could go back in time, in your own lifetime, and re-experience, not the way that Sam is doing it, but what him and Donna were talking about, if you could go back to a point in your life, when would you go back to? I don't think I would go back. Really? Because then I could change something. If I could watch history, that might be a different story to where nothing I do affects it, but after seeing the first Butterfly Effect movie, I was scared to leave my house for like a month. <laughs> Just because the littlest things you do yeah. affect everything so, so much, whether it be good or bad. But literally, I was afraid to do anything. Like, do I really need some Cool Ranch Doritos, or is that going to end up killing somebody three years from now for some reason? Because <laughs> they had to go to because a different store. Because I ate store. Cool Ranch Doritos. Well, if I got the last bag and they had to go to a different store to get them. But I finally stopped thinking like that, so I was able to live my life. But then the Butterfly Effect 2 came out. But that's another story. What would you do if you could go back in time? Um, no, I, again, I don't. I wouldn't want to affect the future because I'm pretty happy with how my life turned out at this point. Um, plus, it could always be worse. Even if you're not happy with your life now, you could go back and make it worse than it already is. But um, if I could go back and not change anything, I would probably go back to my childhood. I haven't had a bad life, so I wouldn't really re- mind reliving it, but it would give me a different perspective also. On, you, know, you remember things a lot differently than reality. I really liked that in the script they put in this thing about she was going to be married before, and she left that guy at the altar too. So it wasn't just 
if you accomplish A, then it leads to B. So uh, he saves Don Elise from having these abandonment issues with men, and uh, then they'll get married. But they introduce this thing of the first wedding where she does the same thing, leaves the guy at the altar. And uh, even Al, when they're at the gas station, reiterates this and says she could just end up with the first guy. Mm-hmm. And then Sam really thinks about it. It shows how he's being selfless in doing this and really doing it for her and not being selfish and doing it for him, knowing that full well he could never meet her because she's with the first guy because she doesn't have daddy issues. Yes. Also, though, um, he's doing it for love and hoping that fate brings them together and kind of leaving it all up to faith and chance and just hoping that they end up together which is romantic and all that junk too i have to say though when speaking of al when he's got the hieroglyph sash on and he's trying to tell him to look at the sash and he's trying not to say anything with the guys around him the facial expressions and his little mannerisms and like the way he moves his hands and that was really funny he he's a really good actor Dean Stockwell is amazing, and uh, the two of them combined just make a great pair, and it wouldn't have been the same show without those two guys. That scene was probably one of my favorites so far, that they were, I mean, they were kind of goofy, and and they, um, I don't know, it, it was really, it was really cool scene. In that scene, we see Al being pulled away out of the imaging chamber, mm-hmm. being pulled away, look like by two guys, maybe both of the guys that are on either side of him pulling him back, but we don't see those guys. Mm. I don't want to get too much out of the timeline, but keep an eye on it. Like, if somebody touches Al, we can't see them. I don't know if that stays consistent in the future or not. It doesn't under... That doesn't make sense to me. If he's, like, in the imaging chamber, I don't understand why he's the only one that can be seen. Right. But they're neurological holograms, but they're holograms. That doesn't make sense. But, like, if they were in, say, a holodeck, like I stated in the last episode, then the other two people could see Sam. Yeah. So it's not a holodeck. They have some neurological connection. Yeah, it's a neurological hologram to where they're just seeing things in their head. So I don't know why he needs an imaging chamber. Maybe we'll find out in the future. But so nobody can see Sam and, and Sam, Sam can can't only see Al. Al. So they have some kind of some kind of mental connection. Hmm. So uh, that's interesting. Uh, but production-wise, I thought the effect that they did pulling Al out of the imaging chamber looked great. It didn't look like two guys pulling him, though. It looked like he was being pulled by a force. Something. But it didn't look like two guys. Right. It's it they didn't Too say fast. what was pulling him. Yeah. And it could have been like not actually pulling it could have been like the connection was being ah, severed. Yeah. He yeah. might not have actually been physically pulled out. Right. But that's what I got because it Okay, that's interesting. Because if it's a neurological thing, that's what your brain is showing you right so is he actually closing a door when he leaves or is it that him like signing off i don't know that's interesting stuff to watch for the future yeah with colonel wojo it's he seems like a nice guy and he even said that what happened between him and her mom had nothing to do with her but i don't think that parents understand the repercussions of their actions a lot of the time i know that that's something i constantly worry about like if i make a certain decision how it's going to affect my daughter's psyche 30 years from now i mean it's it's crazy because most of our issues come from our childhood and come from the way we were talked to or brought up or the way that our parents awarded us or didn't reward us or or, you know, things like that where 
whether we're always seeking approval or, you know, we don't really care what anybody thinks or however our confidence levels are, any of that stuff, I think a lot of it stems from the way that our parents raised us, the situations we were in as as children. And I think that sometimes parents just don't understand the magnitude of what their actions do to us as we get older. And it seems like a perfect example. I really don't think he was a mean guy. You know, I, I the he loved his daughter, you could tell. But if she hadn't seen that, look at how it would have affected her life. Yeah, he seemed like a good guy. But at the same time, I could not imagine not seeing my daughter for 10 years. Yeah. It's just unfathomable. Also, there's a lot of dads who don't care either. I mean, that don't have a connection with their daughter. I mean, I, I am not a dad, so I don't know how it is. Um, obviously, I couldn't imagine not seeing my kid for 10 years either. But everyone has their own story and their own situation. Well, I couldn't be in the military and be away from my family for, you know, weeks, months at a time. So Yeah, people do that all the time. That's a different type of person altogether. Yeah. If I don't see my family every day, I'm not happy. I miss my family while I'm at work <laughs> for eight hours or so. <laughs> Ten years is a little ridiculous. Yeah. But I mean, it's I guess it's one of those things like you're gone for a year and it's hard. And then the second year is a little bit easier. And then the third year is a little bit easier. And then it just gets harder to go back because what do you say? How do you apologize? How do you take that first step and go back and, you know, make the first step, make the attempt to see your daughter, to open a relationship with someone that you don't really know? I mean, I'm, it's hard to leave, but then again, it's hard to go back and admit that you were wrong for leaving and that you shouldn't have left for so long. It was probably easier at that point just to not think about it. It doesn't make sense to me, but uh, it happens all the time. So obviously there's dads that get Pitocin at childbirth (laughs) and don't have a connection with their child. But um... Becoming a parent makes the entire view of it different. Um, Before I I was a mom, I viewed life one way and, and my whole life has changed. So I... I don't know. I I can't explain it, but... Do you think that Donna's dad died in Vietnam and that's why she held on to that? Or you think he just never contacted her again? I, I honestly don't know. And, and Sam didn't seem to know either. So I think they kind of left it open. I, I don't know. To me, it would make sense that he did he probably die in Vietnam. Because he was shipping off to Vietnam and this is her last chance really to see him. Yeah, I... I... I kind of figured. It's sad, though. This whole, if it was 15 years later, or I was 15 years younger, or if she was 15 years older, what do you think about that? Do you think 15 years is too uh, much of a stretch? Was that how long, how far apart they were, 15 years? Yeah, that's what they keep saying, 15 years. Wow. At least I'm the young one. That's all I have to say. <laughs> That's all I have to well, say. Well, 14 years and 15 years is a big difference, I think. No, I don't. Actually, I don't think so. I'm pretty sure that's pretty close. I think maybe that was an excuse that they were both using. Uh, Donna was using that as an excuse because he, like you mentioned earlier, was just like fugly. Dude, for real. And, uh, you know, he was using it as an excuse because he doesn't want uh, Professor Bryant to end up with Donna Alisi. So they didn't want each other to end up with the other, if that makes sense. Yeah, I got what you're saying. I went a little far out on that one, but far out, man. (laughs) It's weird because he seems so much older. Like, the the gap seems so much bigger. I guess in my situation, I don't have the 
fugly problem. Production-wise, behind the scenes, Donald P. Belisario was born August 8th, 1935, and Deborah Pratt was born December 16th, 1951. 16 years, yeah. 16 years So they probably about 15 years, give or take a couple months. Like, it was probably like 15 and a half years. So they probably, were they together? They were married. So maybe that's where this 15 years came from. You know, the more people that I talk to, there's that much of a difference. I have actually two friends who had relationships with between 13 and 15 year difference. So usually the guy is older. I don't know, my situation's 14 years. So (laughs) it's not not that uncommon. But it's uh, interesting to see those uh, real life events and behind the scenes things come into the scripts and shows of TV and uh, specifically Quantum Leap. Well, you write what you know. Write what you know. So still in the 1970s, no seatbelts. No seatbelts. I know that I'm like silly with all this, but it's just every car ride I've just kind of watched and still no seatbelts in the 1970s. It is weird to see that, but uh, I did not notice it this episode, even though I watched it multiple times, but now you're going to have me on the lookout for it from now on. It's weird that I noticed that, but it's also weird, like when were seatbelts invented that they are not in a car? I want to say uh, they were invented in the 50s for the Tucker, A Man in His Dream, Jeff Bridges. Great movie. Is That that was that movie, right? Yeah. I didn't see that. I wanted to see that. Good movie. Well, apparently they were invented in the early 1900s. Okay. People just didn't like the fact. But they were offered in the 1950s as options. <laughs> Would you like seatbelts? Uh, yeah. The um, first car to introduce seatbelts as a standard was uh, the Saab in 1958. When I was a kid, there wasn't seatbelts in cars, and you just ran around like crazy in the back of the car and jumped up and down on the seats. And Well, in 1955 through 1972 is when they started putting them in the back seat. But I guess you just didn't have to wear them. When I was younger, probably 16, 18 or so, I don't think I wore seatbelts, even though my car had seatbelts. But, you know, when you're that young, you think you're immortal. And as I got older and understood physics better... (laughs) You realized it was probably a good idea. Yes, an object in motion tends to stay in motion unless acted upon by an outside force. So the car would stop, like hit another car, Mm -hmm. and you would just keep going because you're already going. Yeah. So it's it's, uh, better to be stopped by a seatbelt than fly out the windshield. I agree. In most cases. Well, I, I know people who think that sitting in the backseat of my car means that they don't have to wear a seatbelt when, in fact, I'm like, yeah, but I'll get in trouble, so... Besides getting in trouble, if the person behind you is not wearing a seatbelt, they, in an accident, become a projectile and they hit the back of you. Or they hit, they go around the car and kill everybody. They showed that in yeah, they're high school and some scare the crap out of you assembly they had. So what are we saying? <sighs> Seatbelts are good. Seatbelts save lives. Yes, and they are not in this show as of yet. <laughs> okay, we'll keep we'll keep track of that. See if uh, somewhere in the five seasons somebody said, hey, shouldn't they be wearing seatbelts? Yeah, like if we get to the 1990s and they're still not wearing seatbelts. Well, oh no, that was the future. <laughs> they're still not wearing seatbelts. I don't know. Were they wearing seatbelts in the jet? Yes. I want to say yes. Yeah, they were. Okay, well, okay. So if you're Except flying- when they're not, well, in the B-50, he got up and walked around. In the X2, I want to say he was strapped in shoulder straps and all that. I like the part of the hunting because I'm not really a f- I'm not a fan of hunting. I mean, I mean, do what you want to do, but I'm not I'm not a fan. When I was younger, I had a neighbor who would gut deer and just leave it open in his garage, and I would just walk by and be like, "That's really not something I want to look at." So I'm can't. Yeah, even. I'm, I'm I'm not that kind of guy. Yeah. 
So, um, if I eat a hamburger, I have to think about other things. I, I get sad about that, and then I remember how good the hamburger is. But I couldn't kill an animal at all, ever. You know, I'm no. more of the Boca Burger kind of guy. I wish that I could be a vegan. Yeah. I wish. I just love hamburgers. I'm on the forks over knives diet right now, so I'm enjoying that. Wish I, I wish. I love cheese. I love cheese. <laughs> but I'm not a fan of hunting, and I, I like that they kind of panicked and, and went with the whole, well, Romeo and Lancelot were hunters. And she was like, oh, I guess you have a point there. And Donna was looking at Sam, Professor Bryant, and, and going, okay, I know you're lying, but let's go with this, just because we're trying to get these two together. Exactly. So I thought that was kind of cool, because they, they were like, crap, now what do we do? But that was... But you could tell that Sam and Donna were the smart people in the car, so they were trying to yeah. make everything okay with the lesser two people. And I thought it was weird that uh, Sam, Professor Bryant, was driving the car because it was the it was Oscar's car. And that's well, unusual. I think he was trying to get those two back together, and it would have been weird if him and Donna were sitting in the back seat. I thought it would have just been visually weird, and that's maybe why they did it. But also, what were they like? It would have been awkward for them to sit together in the back seat. Yeah, he probably said something to Oscar to the effect of, you sit back there with her in this way, it'll yeah. give you more time to be close or something. Yeah, and when they stopped at the gas station and he asks for a key to the bathroom, the guy's like, key to the bathroom? And I'm like, how did that even get started? Was there just a lot of homeless people that would hang out in the bathroom and that's why they need a key to the bathroom? Um, stealing the, the sink from the bathroom and taking off with the toilet? I have no idea why places lock their bathrooms. I know... One reason is there's uh, certain gentlemen that meet in the bathrooms to have fun because I guess they can't afford hotels. Maybe not just gentlemen, probably um, everybody in general. I mean, maybe, ev- you know. Other than that, I don't know. I mean, are you- but either way, if you went and got the key, <laughs> I don't know. I'm like, I'm thinking it stops the guy from coming every day to get a key. I guess. I don't know. And and you always get a key with like th- this humongously heavy, huge thing. Like so you don't take off with it. Yes. Like, uh, that's what I, I, I collect gas station bathroom keys. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I well, have a collection of them. You could set it down on the sink or forget it like in your pocket, I guess. But I if guess. it's got a, you know, a hubcap on it, you're not going <laughs> to accidentally leave with it. It's like when you go to the bank and the, those pens have feathers and all kinds of weird stuff, so you don't yeah. steal them. By but accident. it's like the most disgusting concept because you're like, you don't want to touch it. <laughs> you're like, I almost don't want to go to the bathroom because I know your bathroom is dirty. <laughs> it's like disgusting. I don't know. I prefer to only stop when I'm on trips to at gas stations or uh, convenience stores that have unlocked bathrooms and that are clean. And, you know, you kind of get to know those on your routes of which which companies have you can nice tell facilities yeah. on the way on the outside you're like eh, nah. let's not stop at this yeah. one if there's bars on the window probably not a good place to pee unless yeah, it's a bullet hole you're you about to pee your pants <laughs> and then even you're a guy so like technically you could probably go outside and be better off than going in the bathroom i guess um so how do you feel about like stopping at a mcdonald's and peeing without buying something you pee for I free? don't feel I I feel fine about that, but they might not like that. I always feel obligated to buy something. You just want a French fry. Don't oh, yeah, don't lie. Okay, okay, I can't go to McDonald's without getting fries. I'm like how, who who walks into a McDonald's and is like, you know what? I don't want a milkshake today. I don't, I don't want I French fries. Don't want French fries. When I go through the drive-through, I buy an extra large fry just to eat on the way home, so I don't eat other people's fries. <laughs> 
Fries. Fries are awesome. Speaking of the gas station, when Al's talking to Sam, did it look like Al was drunk to you? It looked a little bit like he was not drunk, but playing drunk. Because in the in the storyline, he had set up Weitzman with Tina so he could blackmail him into letting the project keep going. And uh, I don't think their timelines are synced. So I think Al can be away for three days and come back, you know, a couple minutes later or a couple days later, depending on when he wants to go back. So I'm thinking he came from partying all night, getting this taken care of, and then he's back in, and that might be why he was a little bit drunk. I totally missed that. So I, I, I honestly, I feel like a horrible podcaster because I didn't, I didn't notice. I, I just, I enjoy his quirky little thing. So I was, I think I was just chalking it up to him being his quirky self. He seems like a partier. I mean, like Mr. Ladies Man going to parties and schmoozing and... He was definitely attracted to Jamie Lee. I think he's just attracted to women. I can't blame him for that. In general. Most men are just attracted to women. It's genetic. <laughs> if we weren't, we wouldn't be here. Exactly. So I thought it was funny that when they're at the Watergate, that guy's like, hey, there's a car in the visitor's lot. And I'm like, duh. Did he not? Where did he think those people came from? <laughs> like, <laughs> like he, and they have Ohio license plates. Well, like, yeah. Where did you think they came from? Did they walk to the? I don't understand. Right. I think that there was supposed to be more of a passing of time between that and that because, as they said, you know, we drove all the way from Ohio to see her dad, so they knew they were from Ohio. But of course, their their car is still going to be in the parking lot. 13 seconds later. <laughs> but I'm thinking we're supposed to have... Thought they left? Left, and it's been a while. Oh. But I saw no clues to see that time passed. Yeah, that was just weird. It's it like, was- hey, there's a car, and they were just here, and I guess they didn't leave yet, but I, it was just... It was weird. Yeah, and usually visitors park in the visitors' parking lot. Yeah, you would think. So, before this episode, did you know anything about Watergate, really? Um, I just heard of it. Like, I knew Watergate, Nixon, Scandal, like, those words together, but I didn't... That was pretty much my understanding of Watergate as well. Yeah, but all those things that you hear about, but I didn't actually know information about it. This was 72, so it was three years before I was born, so I really wasn't around to know what happened. Dude, that's my defense that I use all the time. <laughs> so I got to Sorry, use it Sorry, it was one. before I was born. I have no idea. So what I did is I looked on my Blu-ray shelf and I had Frost Nixon and I had never watched it. So I was like, eh, good time to watch it. Maybe learn something about the whole deal and what happened. So now I know basically what we both knew and then I know the stuff from Frost Nixon. Well, can you give us... As an audience, anything that you learned? If you don't know what happened, uh, basically what I got out of Frost Nixon was Nixon was just abusing his power as president. And one of the things he did was he bugged at the Watergate Hotel, the Democratic Election Committee's offices there, so he could find out what they were doing so he could win the upcoming election. And I think this was before the election. He didn't get threatened to be impeached until after he won the second term. But the problem was the people that got caught breaking in ratted him out. And then he tried to cover it up and bribe people. And President Nixon had been recording all the conversations in the White House that he had with people. And somehow they subpoenaed or got a hold of all those tapes and found out that he knew about what was going on and he was trying to bribe people and trying to make the situation go away. So basically he got caught for trying to cover it up. Hmm. What was the break-in, though? Were they breaking in to bug the place? or Yes. Okay. Yes. And uh, 
his defense during the Frost-Nixon interviews was that he did break the law, but when you're the president of the United States, if you do it, you're not breaking the law. You're above the law. Yeah. I'm above the law. (laughs) But people didn't like that. Yeah. He resigned, and then his vice president, after he became president, Ford, I believe, gave him a full pardon. So no matter what he did ever, he was pardoned by the president. So I bet you that made people upset. Yeah, a lot of people were mad. But I guess that was part of the deal, you know, like, uh, I'll resign if you pardon me. Well, and I'm sure that he was probably close with him. And I think the reason he gave was he didn't want the country to have to go through ridiculous trials and that's true ongoing uh, bad press of everything and just, you know, get it over with and move on. So, but I really uh, thought Frost Nixon was a good movie. I'll have to watch it. Yeah, I, I recommend it. But uh, he won election in 1968, and this takes place in 72. So about the end of his first term, this happened. Wow. So Sam accomplished his mission, let's call it. I don't know what else, for lack of a better term. Uh, and he got Jamie Lee and Oscar together. Mm-hmm. So he was able to leap. And uh, whoever's controlling his leaping, if someone in fact is, uh, you think he was okay with Sam messing with his own personal life? Um, it didn't seem to affect his leaping or anything. As long as he got Jamie Lee and Oscar together, I don't think it mattered. So then uh, when he leaped into his next person, it was just hunky-dory? Oh, that wasn't a punishment? Was that a punishment? I don't know. That's what I'm thinking. <sighs> I didn't even think about that. I think that's the way they were uh, kind of leading you to believe that he leaps into a guy that's just about to get punched. Yeah, that sucks. So if time, fate, or something is controlling it, Hey, buddy, stop messing with your own stuff. That's like a little slap in the face. Yeah. But at the same time, it would be really hard not to. Right. Like if you or I went back and saw a friend of ours or a previous or future lover, I guess. (laughs) She was a future lover of his, not a past lover of his. Um, Depending on how you look at it, I guess. Um, Right? Donna was a future lover of his. Yes, I was just thinking about future lover as a, it would make a great t-shirt. A future, it's kind of like future ex-wife, but yeah. future lover. Future lover. Um, hey, because you could take that two different yeah, ways. Yeah, I'm a lover of the future, <laughs> or I'm your future lover. I like that. So um, it would be hard, I think. Even if you like saw your best friend walking by, you'd be like, hey, that's you. You know, I'm, anybody, I think, that you, you knew would be hard to not go and talk to them and stay focused on your quote-unquote mission. And he thought that was his mission. He, even up to the end, thought that was his mission. Like, he didn't know that Oscar and Jamie Lee were making out in the backseat of the car. Right, and uh, as he leaps out, and Al says, well, then why haven't you leaped yet? He starts to say, well, maybe I need a shotgun. Maybe I need a shotgun. As in shotgun wedding between Oscar and Jamie Lee. Can you imagine leaping into somebody and getting punched in the face? Like, what a wake-up call. Like, that sucks. (laughs) You're like, hey, I'm on this high. I got girl to get back with her dad have a good you know daddy daughter relationship got these two back together finished my mission punched in the face and uh you can't really defend yourself when you're leaping into somebody and there's a bunch of blue light around you and stuff yeah and even if i mean it takes your brain a couple seconds to uh, survey your surroundings i'm sure assess the situation exactly If you had to pull a message or a moral or a lesson out of this episode, could you? Um, love will prevail. I don't know. I I don't... Something about love. It was a very romantic-y episode. The only thing I could really think is, you know, don't not see your daughter for 10 years or that'll mess her up. Well, that that too. That's a good... 
Yeah, being a parent, like I said, you have to understand that what you do affects your children mm-hmm. in the long run. Um, but also, there was a big underlying love theme to this one, whether it be parental love or star-crossed souls. Favorite part of the episode? Al with the sash, with the hieroglyphs and the acting out the how to get to the Pentagon and all that stuff. Did somebody got a crush on Al yet? I, you know, it's not even like that. It's just he's funny, and I like that. I think my favorite part was when Sam was telling Donna about why they're taking the trip to Washington, D.C., and the realization on her face and when she says, you're taking me to see my father. And that part, I totally bought hook, line, and sinker. I think Terry Hatcher was amazing in that part. And yeah, she did good. Every time I watched that episode, I was in that moment with her. And I totally believed it. So that was my favorite part of the episode, I think. She did really good at that part, too. Okay, did we learn anything? What do we know now? Did we learn anything more? What do we know from this episode? He's not allowed to mess with his past, but they kind of got around that. But that was his role that he made. Weitzman, we learned about him. Yeah. Lincoln fixation, stovepipe hat. Cheater. Cheater, yeah. Blackmailed by Al, so that might come in handy in the future. Mm-hmm. Sam met Donna at the Starbright Project. I don't know what that is. I was going to say, I must have missed what that was, because I have no idea. But it seems like it might be something to look forward to in the future. I don't know if that's what they call it. They might have been... Project or not. They might have been planting a seed for that one. Yeah, so maybe something to keep in mind. Al was married at least twice. He seems like somebody <laughs> who... He falls in lust a lot, I think. I thought it was cool that Sam reads the hieroglyphics from ancient Egypt, and I think uh, him and Daniel Jackson might get along good together. Stargate SG-1. Oh, like, I don't know who that is. I'm not there yet. Well, ish. Ish. Kind of. So that's what we know so far. Let's take a minute to thank our sponsor for this episode, Audible. Anybody who's not using Audible, you should totally go out and get an Audible account and click on our link on our page because Audible is awesome. What Audible book are you listening to now? I finished Bet Me by Jennifer Cruzy, and now I'm listening to The Cuckoo's Calling by Robert Galbraith. I've never actually listened to a crime thriller or read a crime thriller before, but uh, it's, it's, it's fun. Um, I've never listened to an audiobook read by a British narrator before, but with all my, you know, Doctor Who and Harry Potter background with all the Torchwood and all, all the British shows I watch, I at least know some of the lingo like pot noodle, which is cup of noodle, but they call it pot noodle. So when they talk about stuff like that in the book, I at least know what they're talking about. My audible book right now is Under the Dome by Stephen King, which is a lot different than the miniseries. Yeah. So I'm kind of doing both of them concurrently, and uh, I like the book a lot. It's pretty good. Uh, It's very long, but hey, more value for the money, right? Audible.com, it's a great deal. You click our banner on quantumleappodcast.com and you can download a free audiobook instantly. And there's over 100,000 audiobooks and more. It works on your iPod, your iPhone. It works on MP3 players. And there's even a way to burn them to CD if you listen to books on CD in your car. See, it's perfect for me at work. I get to listen to my headphones at work for a couple hours a day. And so I, I get, instead of listening to music, I actually get to read, which I don't have time to do at home with a baby. I actually, it's, it's nice to be able to read again. To get your free trial of Audible, go to quantumleappodcast.com and click on our Audible banner link and you get your free book and your free 30-day trial and it helps out the show. We got some good feedback considering we only have one show out so far. We've gotten a really good response from the first episode and uh, that pleases me. Yeah, I'm. I, you know, we the last podcast we did didn't have a fan base yet. 
because it was a brand new show. So I didn't really know what to expect with this one, but we have gotten awesome responses. Yes, and uh, that's why we do this, so people uh, can uh, listen and enjoy. We have some email feedback. This is from Pete and Dave from the Quantum Leap cast. Greetings, Albie and Heather. You're probably wondering what's up with the email address to which I'm writing from. My name is Pete of 8 Tracks In, and my co-host Dave are currently in the process of starting our very own podcast, coincidentally, also about Quantum Leap. I just discovered you guys yesterday and downloaded the first episode. I just finished listening to it, and I wanted to reach out and tell you I'm a big fan after just one episode. I've been a Quantum Leap fan for years. From what I've gathered, I'm older than Heather, but younger than Albie. I started watching the show when I was eight or nine. Around that time, I was also watching other shows such as MacGyver, Sliders, and Time Tracks, which was a Quantum Leap ripoff. My co-host and I couldn't believe there wasn't a Quantum Leap podcast and got together to start brainstorming for a show. I was so anxious to listen to you guys to hear if there were going to be a lot of similarities in our shows. Just let me tell you, we're going to have to do some tweaking to ours now, so it doesn't sound like we're copycats of yours. I love the detailed summary in the beginning by Heather and the in-depth talk between you two. Can't wait to banter about Quantum Leap with you guys, and maybe in the future, perhaps, we can guest star on each other's shows. Your friends in time, Pete and Dave from the Quantum Leap cast. P.S. My two cents. I don't remember where I got this, but I was always under the impression that their current year was 1999. If so, shiny and outlandish clothing was pretty accurately predicted. I'd like to think Al is a big fan of Puff Daddy videos. <laughs> Thank you, Pete and Dave from the Quantum Leap cast. Uh, it's nice to know that uh, somebody else is going to try to do this. Um, the more, the merrier. Our last podcast, the Terra Nova podcast, I think there was six or seven out at the same time. I wish you all the best, and uh, it might be something fun to do to uh, communicate in the future and uh, do some cross-promotion between our podcasts. Uh, I can't wait to listen to your episode, and uh, I'm looking forward to it. We have another email. It's from Hayden. Hi, I just listened to your podcast. Enjoyed hearing your thoughts, especially from the point of view of someone who hasn't seen the show before. Brought back some great memories. Just wanted to point out your discussion about the clouds. The cloud scenes are actually Sam's point of view while he's leaping. I didn't even think of that. That's a cool it's a cool thought about the clouds. It actually makes a lot of sense because when they're trying to pull him back to the Quantum Leap project, you see his perspective. It's like a crane shot all the way out of Tom Stratton's house and it's like a pullback up into the sky and then like it stops and then it goes back into his body. So it's like he's having an out-of-body experience kind of and getting pulled out of his body. So that makes sense. So I I could definitely see that. Yeah, I guess you kind of got to think about it. But also it could, they might reference that further into the show. But uh, thank you for pointing that out, Hayden. We have our first of eight winners from our essay contest. Her name is Care Bear. Would you like to read that essay for us? Sure. What Quantum Leap means to me. Approximately one week ago, me and my Netflix account decided it was time to rewatch Quantum Leap. Being a fan of podcasts in general, and since my husband refuses to watch anything from the 80s, I went searching for a Quantum Leap podcast to get other viewpoints on the show. Imagine my surprise when I saw the Quantum Leap podcast all fresh and shiny and new. It was meant to be. So that brings me to the point of this essay. Why decide to rewatch? What does Quantum Leap mean to me anyway? Well, I was seven years old when the show was new, and while I don't remember the super cool sounding commercials that were brought up on your podcast, and I probably watched most episodes in syndication, I do remember rushing home to set the VCR to record that night's show. I still have a VHS copy of the Georgia version, and nothing to play it on. This is the first show that I loved that wasn't a cartoon. This is the first show that glued me to the television. This is the first show that I decided had a totally hot leading man. And most importantly, this is the first show that made me want to be a scientist. 
Not that that ever came to fruition, but it made me want to be one. And while I won't be inventing a time machine or saving lives one leap at a time, I wanted to be more and do more. Quantum Leap in all its 80s glory is everything a show should be. Awesome premise, awesome lessons, perfect mix of awesome and awesomely bad actors. I'm looking at you, every actor who plays Sam's reflection. And every time I hear the sound of Sam leaping, or hear the theme song, or hear him say, oh boy, it puts me right back to the first time I saw it. Quantum Leap is an amazing show, and I'm so glad to be re-watching with the Quantum Leap podcast. Well, that's very nice. I like that essay. Thank you so much, Care Bear, for sending that to us. And you have won a Quantum Leap comic book, number nine. And I just got confirmation today via email that she received it. Awesome. This is really cool to hear from our fans already. This was, right, I think, right after we put out the first show. And that was that was really cool. I, I feel partial to the women fans. I, I get I get excited when we get because when especially when we're in the sci-fi universe, we get a we get a lot of um, male feedback on our last podcast. So I, I get a little excited when there's like girls. Oh. Uh, this show I think has a big uh, female following because of the hunky leading man, partly, and because of the great writing of the show and uh, the great through story of Quantum Leap. I love that you have a VHS copy of the episode. With the Georgia music still on it, uh, when me and Heather get to that episode, I'm going to make sure by hook or by crook that she watches the original broadcast version of that episode with the original music. Because that's been a, a big thing with the fans is they don't like the fact that they didn't either want to spend the money or take the time to secure all the rights for the DVDs. That not all the music that was on the original television show or on the DVDs, a lot of it's been replaced with just generic background music. And uh, I think... Especially in that episode, it really affects the emotional feeling of the show. So uh, Heather will watch that version, and uh, thanks for reminding me about that. Um, great essay. Yeah, very well written. She portrayed her thoughts well. Very, very good. So uh, thank you very much, and uh, there are still seven more comic books to give away, so if you uh, send us an essay, you'll win a comic book. If you want to get in contact with us, there is many ways to do it. You can leave us a voicemail at 707-847-6682 or you can send us an mp3 or an email to quantumleappodcast at gmail.com we have a twitter account it's at quantumleappod and our facebook page is facebook slash quantumleappodcast so uh, please like and join those and if you could do us a favor while you're listening to the quantum leap podcast post on your facebook page that you are listening to the quantum leap podcast yeah that's a new feature huh it's a really cool feature and it'll let more people know about our podcast so that would be great we are now on stitcher so we are excited about that stitcher is a great app you can hear our show on stitcher radio on demand you can download the free app today you can listen anywhere anytime even without wi-fi or a cell connection and uh, what's cool about it is it connects to your facebook account so uh when you're listening to the quantum leap podcast it goes right on your facebook account so people know about that um it's available for iphone androids and tablets it's uh just another way to listen to us Cool. So uh, I invite you to check out the Stitcher app. Please get in contact with us any and every which way you can. So that leads us to next time on the Quantum Leap podcast, Sam leaps into a boxer. Tonight, Sam leaps into a boxer's life. Can he change a cheat into a champion? I don't know how to fight. I'm out of shape. I got a nun for a trainer. I suppose things are happening rather abruptly for you. <laughs> you had a little bit of a nun Quantum Leap. Yeah, that looks tough. I would 
I don't think I would want to be a boxer. I'd rather be the sleazy English lit professor. On our next episode, we discuss the right hand of God. There's boxing, there's nuns. What could be better than that, right? There's nuns? There's nuns. More nuns. And boxing? And boxing. I think they bought the nun costumes, so we're going to see a lot more nuns in the future. There's going to be a lot more nuns. This is That's a turn I didn't see coming. So until next time, this is Al. And Heather. See you in the future or in the past. You know, this leaping about in time has its advantages, like being able to reunite the love of my life with her father. And even though I wasn't supposed to affect anyone in my personal future, I figured the big guy upstairs would understand. Then again, maybe he didn't. Thank you for joining us for this episode of the Quantum Leap Podcast. Go to quantumleappodcast.com to listen to new episodes. The Quantum Leap Podcast is not affiliated with Belisarius Productions or Universal TV. Follow us on Facebook and Twitter to get behind-the-scenes information, exclusive content, and to be notified first when a new episode is available. The thoughts and opinions expressed in this podcast are those of the individual and do not necessarily represent or reflect those of the Quantum Leap Podcast, Baron Space Productions, its partners, or affiliates. The Quantum Leap Podcast is edited by Albie. The Quantum Leap Universe and all it contains is property of Belisarius Productions and Universal TV. No infringement is intended. The Quantum Leap Podcast is a Baron Space production. This whole uh, 15 years uh, later, or 15-year-old, 15... Uh, 15 I went searching for a Quantum Leap Podcast to get other viewpoints on the show. Way to not turn your sound off. Pretzels would be wonderful right now. Right. They're a little too crunchy for the podcast. Mm-hmm. So, so, okay. Oh. <laughs> no. Us with our shows. Um.